listening to the Rude Horror Podcast with your host, Marcus Rude. Hello everybody, you're listening to the Rude Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Rude, and today I have a special guest with me, Mr. Nick Benson. He is a special effects artist and has worked on a ton of awesome 80s films, horror films I should say. How are you doing today, Nick? Great. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. This is this is awesome. Uh, so I guess I'll just kind of get into, um, you worked on a lot of like awesome 80s films, like like some that, like a lot of the ones that, that I really like. So it's awesome <laughs> to see. Well, that's a plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I guess I'll kind of, get into uh the blob remake is like one of my favorite 80s horror films could you maybe tell us what it was like working on the blob well it was very messy (laughs) (laughs) if i can if i can make take one word and describe it um actually you know what's interesting about that film is uh i I was kind of, I was in between jobs and I was really looking for something. And I knew, I knew that that was a huge production. It had so many effects people involved in it. And, uh, I actually went down to the creature shop and they were, they were pretty much, uh, filled up with a lot of my friends and stuff that I worked with in those days were, were working on the film. So they were the ones that said, Hey, why don't you come down and see if there's something we got, we got for you here. And, uh, you know, Tony, Tony, uh, you know, kindly came out and said, you know, hey, I, I would love to bring you on, but we just have we just have more than we need here right now. But uh, let me make a phone call. And he called up to DreamQuest and uh, talked to uh, the guys up there. And they needed somebody not only to puppeteer. They hired me initially as a puppeteer, but because of my experience, um, you know, they brought me on to kind of work with as many people on set as possible to, to help set things up. So that's kind of where my role fell um, within the film. Um, And interestingly enough, you know, uh, one of the things about that film was that although it's a a remake of a a 50s (laughs) kind of a cheesy film, Mm -hmm. fun in the 50s, um, you know, this story was quite believable. And uh, I really enjoyed um, looking at the story and and getting onto that film because it was it was a really interesting take on that that film. Right. Yeah. Like uh, I like the aspect of uh, you know, like the original. It was like a creature from out of space. Right. In this right. one, it was uh, like man-made. Experiment went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I really liked that take or that aspect of changing the story. Yeah, yeah, I really dug that part of it because it's it made it so much more believable that something like that could happen. Right. Yeah, especially even like today's, you know, with the uh the whole pandemic going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um who who's to say that someone can't come up with some type of uh you know, who and who's to say it's it's not not already um something that's been made. Well, we have no idea, man. I, I sometimes feel like, you know, uh, science fiction usually becomes science fact. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, even like a lot of like the earlier sci-fi films, you know, it uh, it ends up being factual. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, our I, culture seems to be influenced by all of that, and I think even our scientists are geeks at heart. You know. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, the blob. I I loved the uh, the special effects in that film, and and I on my podcast I talked a lot about uh, I love practical effects over CGI. Like, there's just something about like practical effects that it it, it feels more real. Organic. Yeah. I think the word is really organic. Yeah, because yeah. A lot of digital is getting really fucking good. I have to admit. Uh, but there are a lot of things that it cannot do. It just cannot do. And I, I, I'm still an advocate for, for, um, you know, digital effects, but, but only in the, in the realm of, um, let's take something like Jurassic Park or, uh, you know, the abyss or things like that, where there's a nice mix of, or I should say balance of, of the digital with practical because, um, you know, I mean, that marriage is really good if it's done right. But right. if it's done wrong and somebody tries to replace, you know, practical with digital, usually looks like shit. Not mm-hmm. believable. Yeah, yeah. I, uh... <laughs> and to, to expand on that a little bit, I mean, I don't know if you saw the newer, the newer release of Predator. Yes. Okay. Oh, God. And there was, you could tell it was like they ran out of money. You know, it was like at the end where those guys are in the trees and they shoot each other and there's digital blood. There's not even squibs or, or blood or anything. It's all digital and it looks horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Predator franchise, but, uh, you know, it, it it sort of fell apart after two. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, whew. You know, I'll still watch them just because, like, I'm a diehard fan of of those films. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it's hard not to want to. He's such a cool creature. Oh yeah. You know, you mm-hmm. want to see where the story goes, or you know, what scenario the predator is put in. It's funny because I used to I used to uh, work a lot with Steve Wang. I still do. I still talk to him and still have done some projects with him off and on. But um, Steve Wang was the guy that actually designed that for Steve Winston. And, uh, yeah, and, and he and I are still, uh, very good friends and, um, he's, he's an amazing, amazing artist and just, he blows me away with everything he does. He always has. And I've always felt like even working with him, it was like, how am I even here? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know, just, I've always been in awe of his work and that the, the predator is just one of those things that just blows me away. Um, so it's 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 pretty amazing that I, I was really lucky in my career to have worked with such such a caliber of people that were just incredible artists and pioneers in this business. You know. Right, yeah, right. Well, uh maybe we could even jump back to uh how how you got into the business and became a special effects artist. Well, that's an interesting and hilarious story at the same time. Um I, I, I'm actually working on putting a book together about that because, you know, and this, this is, this goes for anybody out there that wants to get into effects and is trying to get into, I know there's a a much bigger surge now than there ever was. Um, But 
you know, I, I, I like to encourage that because for me, I, I was a musician. I was touring with several bands in like 86, late 86. I was, I was playing in a couple of bands and doing a little touring, you know, on the West Coast and stuff, doing a bunch of clubs. What kind of music did you play? Uh, well, I started in a couple of punk bands in high school and we did a whole lot of stuff. And then I, then it kind of, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll use the word they use for cancer. It metastasized metastasized to, uh, playing in some goth bands, you know, <laughs> dark metal, mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of things. Very, you know, industrial, um, dark metal. I just experimented with everything, man. I was, I was just, I really liked a lot of it. So. Awesome. I kind of played around a little bit, um, and I was in one. I, I was started one project with a guy that actually I think the band still exists today. It's called London After Midnight. I started that band with that guy, and with his name was Sean Brennan, and mm-hmm. uh, he actually when I, you know was I was living in Hollywood and I was kind of running around club to club doing my thing and met Sean and Sean you know Sean wanted to work with me musically. And interestingly enough, his brother, Kevin, uh, Kevin Brennan happens to be an extremely talented effects artist that um, a lot of people haven't necessarily heard of, uh, worked on the original Howling. Um, he's incredible. Uh, but he was one of the roommates at Sean's, and I wound up being roommates with, with Sean and Kevin and Steve Johnson. So, yeah, so that's it. That's that's a whole funny story in itself. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like dumb luck, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I wound up roommates with these guys and, and um, they, while writing music with Sean and, and coming up with ideas for what I wanted to do for a stage show, because I I was more into like, and in in the eighties, you got to understand, I mean, yeah, there was hair bands. Yeah. There was punk. Yeah. There was all this stuff, but like much like, I'm sure you know who Screaming Mad George is. Screaming Mad George, uh, before much before me uh, in the in the 70s, went to school in New York, was in an art school, was a musician, uh, much much like me, but did everything way before me, um, and was performing in bands uh, in the in the late 70s and early 80s with bands like The Damned, The Addicts, things like that. Oh wow. And he was doing these performance art. He had a band called The Mad. And The Mad was a great punk band. If you ever get a chance, Google that. Look it up. Look on YouTube. I think there's some videos of it. Oh, for sure. Um, and it's all it's all George's like own animation and, uh, you know, just crazy stuff. And he he did these crazy stage shows. And I, and I was sort of familiar with that. So I, you know, I wanted to create a performance art-like environment for what we were playing um because rather than just get up and play for people even though they like the music i want to give them something to look at Mm -hmm. um so i so i was having all these ideas and and throwing things out there with uh with kicking ideas around with sean and steve sort of caught wind of it and uh you know i don't know it was probably i don't know it was probably six months maybe eight months went by and i was still working with sean and doing stuff and then you know, talking with Steve off and on because he was my roommate and, you know, between partying and going to clubs together and doing all kinds of shit like that. Uh, Steve, just one night we were talking art and I was throwing stuff at him and, you know, saying different things about what I wanted to do. And, and he was like, why don't you come make rubber monsters? 
and you know i mean that's kind of hard to turn down when you know the former the former head of boss creature shop uh asks you to come make rubber monsters or, or you know continue with music and i sort of uh i i sort of i couldn't help myself but say yes you know so oh right for sure man um, yeah so it was it was like i kind of dropped the music side of it the other the other roommate got a little upset with me for that because i you know i focused pretty much on on effects and going and doing that versus uh versus writing music anymore and you know i still write music but it's just my own stuff and i sort of left the band and uh he wasn't too happy with me but that was pretty much how my career in effects started nice <clears throat> yeah when i uh like when i was in high school like not to not to trail off talking about me but uh um back when in, when i was in high school i was in a metal band called buried twice yeah and uh we played you know we played a lot of shows around uh the quad cities area like iowa illinois and uh i think like the biggest show we ever played was we got to open up for uh devil driver and napalm death up in oh, wisconsin nice. and uh it just kind of seemed like once we got up to that point uh we might have let it get to our heads a little bit and then uh the band kind of fell apart after that <laughs> and right. uh and uh we never really got you know i think we disbanded like 2009 yeah so we had we had like a little four-year run from 2005 to 2009 <laughs> well that's good at least you had at least you had some fun while doing that right i mean oh yeah yeah i mean the experience was amazing um and most of my lyrics were like horror based lyrics like from movies and stuff so oh, i've always awesome. you know i've always been a fan of horror <clears throat> movies regardless what i've worked on or you know have been doing yeah i understand that I, uh, that's pretty much where i came from my um both my parents were in the film industry um my stepfather was an editor and my mom was an executive for universal pictures. Um, so I kind of grew up on universal studios lot and my, my absolute love was the universal monsters and from a very young age. So I was always obsessed with monsters and, and horror. And, you know, I remember, uh, my, my mother likes to tell this story because at least now it normalizes it for her is a, I don't know if you remember they had these folders when you're in school called peachy folders and they had like these renderings of basketball players and I don't know stupid shit on them like that mm -hmm. but I uh, I like would sketch over the top of those things and I sketched like guys with mohawks stabbing the other dude with a knife and like you know, just all <laughs> <kinds of> stupid <laughs> shit like that and my mother was genuinely concern for my my mental well-being in those days it was just it's just my artistic release that's all it really was and uh it's funny because she likes to tell that story today she says well with this effects career it all made sense now yeah <laughs> she thought something was wrong with me <laughs> well well look at you now you know you've you've done a, a lot of uh great stuff in the the film industry yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky, you know, I mean, obviously, the way that I kind of fell into things, um, I was very fortunate. Um, I did come out of high school and I was a I was an apprentice film editor and I did some a couple of movies doing film editing and stuff like that. And it was really great to do that. 
and I have a really well-rounded uh, experience in production altogether. So I can produce, I can direct, I can do all that stuff. But, you know, going into effects was like such a creative release and it was so fun to, to figure out how to make things happen. And like nowadays, there's so many materials that weren't available in those days that we had to kind of figure out, you know, and, and the stuff just didn't exist. So we had to kind of work with what we could find and I mean, there was a lot of materials don't get me wrong but they weren't anywhere near what they are today mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah i mean uh it it was it was just kind of a crazy ride and uh i got very very lucky uh i worked with some very very talented people and they all mentored me and they were all they're all most of them are still my friends in fact after 30 gosh is 30 35 years i want to say 35 years um steve johnson uh, called me last October and uh, asked me to do a Slipknot video with him. Oh wow! So yeah, I just uh, have you seen the the video for Nero Forte? Uh, yes, I have. And uh, when I when I was looking up some of your uh, credentials, I seen that you had worked on that. Right. And uh, so yeah, what that's, was it like working? Hmm. After thirty five years with Steve, it was interesting and very surreal because we both kept saying the same thing isn't it like really surreal to be like after 35 years who'd have thought we'd be still doing this as old men (laughs) (laughs) so it was uh it was pretty cool though i mean you know we it was an interesting shoot because like steve had a crew in la where they sort of did a lot of r&d and figured out the materials to use and kind of put some stuff together uh for the shoot um but you know, Steve called me, he needed a crew here. So I, he, he said, I trust you hire whoever we need. We need this many people. So I, I actually called a very good friend of mine, Tom Devlin. Um, I'm sure you know who he is. Mm -hmm. Um, so I called Tom Devlin and I said, Hey, I need you. And I need any, anybody that you have as crew. I need this many people and we're going to be doing this. And and uh, sort of set up the situation for him and knew what the shoot was. I also did some other stuff on that production for the production side of things, getting, getting some other things handled. But overall, I just, it was like, I put a effects crew together and I, and I have to say that, 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 that was probably one of the most organized uh, awesome shoots because everything went so well. Uh, when we did it, it was like, we were just on it like clockwork. Everybody worked really hard. We were having fun. Uh, there were really no screw ups. I think the only screw up we had was one, one of the girls we put in the, in those sleeves was, uh, she freaked out once there was only one of them. We had 15 Mm. girls and only one of them freaked out. That's, I'd say that's pretty successful then. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. It was like a 16 or 17 hour day, but but we got everything done that we needed to get done. It was shot well. It was beautiful. And you can see most of what we did uh, in the short film that that uh, Sean Craham put together kind of after they released the video itself. Mm-hmm. It's all, uh, and the short film's called Pollution. It's like a 20-minute version of what his vision, original vision was for Nero Forte. Oh, wow. I'll have to look that up later. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Very, very surreal and very, very neat. I really like, I like working with guys like him because he just has a vision. And, and while uh, it was funny, cause in the production meeting we had when they got up here, it was like, everybody was kind of blankly staring at him 
he's trying to explain what he wants. And I just looked right at him and I go, you want to paint everything with light. And he was like, that's exactly what I want to do. Thank you. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, it was great because I just, I totally get that vision. I, I can work with other artists with what they see in their head, you know, and, and like, I'm really bad at that too. Like I can say like what my vision is in my head. And sometimes people just look at me and they, they don't get it. They don't understand what I'm saying. So it's, I, I sort of, I guess I sort of understand another person who thinks like I do. Mm -hmm. So it was really, it was really nice to work with uh, somebody like him because it was, for me, it felt really easy to understand what he wanted and what he was looking to see. <clears throat> and I know Steve was, Steve was freaking out the whole time because he's like, I don't know. He hasn't said anything about what we, what we've done so far. He hasn't even given me a reaction. He, I don't even know if he likes it. I think he hates it. I'm like, dude, he hired you. You're Steve fucking Johnson. So stop stressing out over this. <laughs> you're here. You're on the shoot. Aren't you? <laughs> stop worrying about it. <laughs> right. No, he's like, well, if I'm not worried, I'm not successful. I'm like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> Same old Steve. Same old Steve, neurotic as ever, but I love him to death. Right. And so, you know, it's almost like no news is good news. So obviously he was liking what your guys, what you guys were doing. Totally. It's, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, when we got on set and we started working and actually shooting, that's how I see, like, that's how Sean works. I don't, I think that like, as far as pre-production stuff, he's like, yeah, that looks good. Okay. Whatever. But until you're there creating what you're creating and he gets to see everything lit in his mind on what he wants to see, that's when he's going to give you the feedback. Right. Not necessarily beforehand. Right. Yeah. And he, and he's uh, like a visionary filmmaker. Like I, I, I have his, uh, what was it? Like a, a full length movie of like inside the nine. Yeah. Something like that in, there's really, I mean, there's maybe a little talking in it, but it's all just visual yep. footage. Yep. That's, you're going to love pollution. It's freaking great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to seeing if that. Like, if you like that, you'll love pollution. It's awesome. Right on. So yeah. So did you get to work with Sean or did you get to, to work with any of the other band members? Yeah. Yeah. All of them. Um, they were all there. Uh, and my job was, you know, getting these girls. So, so the, uh, if you've seen Nero Forte, if you could tell, I don't know if you can from just the music video, but every band member had its own demon, so to speak. And that's what those girls were supposed to be. They're sort of like their demon or their, you know, something that's haunting mm -hmm. them. So I, like I said, I had 15 girls there. Uh, just in case we, you know, like somebody freaked out or something didn't work or whatever. We had some extra girls there. Um, and every band member got their own individual demon. Um, so it was, it was literally that many makeups to do while we were shooting. So it was like, and plus they shot a bunch of stuff without effects. Mm -hmm. They did stuff with instruments and stuff like that without it. And then they did it with it. So, um, yeah, those guys are, those guys are really awesome. They're very professional. They're very nice guys. Um, they were fun to work with. Corey was a kick in the ass. I absolutely love Corey. <laughs> and, um, Sean, Sean is very, very much a visionary. It's interesting to watch him work. 
And uh, I do have some, you know, I do have some pictures. I have a lot of pictures from that shoot, um, you know, uh, probably four, 400 or so. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And in the 50, in the 52 years I've been on the surf, I finally learned to get some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, back, back in the eighties, you know, you had to have a 35 millimeter camera if you really wanted good pictures. And I, you know, I wasn't a guy that had very much money back in those days. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, uh, it was a trick to go have to buy either a disposable camera and take some pictures of my shit or whatever, and get it developed and all that. So, you know, I don't have a ton of stuff. I, I don't have as much as I probably should. Um, right. But, you know, um, some of it's crept up over the years from friends of mine, like Bill Forrest, who's taking pictures, you know, for me or helped me out with it or whatever. And then I, there's Japanese friends of George's that came in and spent a lot of time with us in the shop and, I recently, like, not recently, but probably a year ago, uh, he sent me, like, 10 pictures of stuff that he took of, of me back in the day. It's pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, yesterday I was looking up some YouTube stuff, and uh, I came across, like, this eight-minute video of uh, working on the howling. Hmm. And so there's there's footage of you working with uh, one of the Bill? guys. Bill's in the suit, right? There's a yeah. bunch of people around the suit. Yes. Is that the video? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think was I was on. Pretty interesting. I think, I think in that video, it is funny because that that in that video, I think I was on like, I want to say like day four or five of no sleep, just working around the clock, getting everything ready for the, to ship it from XFX out to South Africa. Mm-hmm. So we were test fitting everything and then just getting everything on an airplane. So my hair looked like, absolutely ridiculous <laughs> i didn't care i just didn't care i was so sleep deprived didn't didn't give a shit to cut it didn't give a shit to do anything with it i just left it yeah and, uh, yeah so we were just test fitting everything in that video uh as i recall and uh getting bill bills believe it or not i don't know if you can see it in the video but he's he's actually resting on this dolly that we built because the legs on that creature were not man legs they were more like dog legs they were had the backwards knee oh yeah so we had yeah so he's he's kind of he's on a dolly and it's underneath the suit he's supported on the chest and there's like a seat that he sits on so he's like leaning forward on this dolly oh wow i didn't even yeah, catch and his that. legs his legs are back back behind him he's like kind of it's almost like if you're sitting in a kneeling position leaning forward mm-hmm. um, but he's on a dolly so that's that's how he's actually sitting and you can't really tell that from the video but there's there's places i think if i remember correctly that you can see the legs so mm-hmm. you can kind of see what's going on there and you can tell that the legs are are puppeteered uh versus you know like more like human legs where we have a knee that goes you know bends forward Right. So like when I was watching the video, uh, I was trying to figure out like where his head placement was like, was it like in where the, in the, the neck, the neck. Yep. And like, could he actually see out of it? Was there like holes? Yeah. There's just, see? there's like a, there's like a, a mesh, like a fabric mesh that goes over his face. Okay. Um, and then the, there's fur that actually kind of combs over it. So yes, he could see, but not very well. Well, <laughs> right so you can kind of at least tell like where he's at when yeah he's walking. That, 
because that head was animatronic and we had uh you know we had the snarls and all the you know all of the lip cables and everything in there there's a lot of cables coming out of that thing oh wow and um the eyes uh lit up they were they were illuminated so and it was big i mean that thing was really big it was like seven eight feet tall wow when i was standing fully upright it was seven or eight feet tall i can't remember yeah yeah i remember when watching that movie you know i i was hoping to see more of the werewolves instead of just like little little pieces here and there yeah you know it kind of sucked because because i mean not only well there's a lot there's a whole lot that um there's a book called the complete history of the howling Mm -hmm. and it talks about the entire franchise everyone from the, the original to two three four uh and i'm in that book Oh, okay, uh, but I talk about a little bit in that, and I think there's been another another interview or two that have asked about that particular film, and there was a rift between uh, John, I want to say John Huff, and um, one of the producers. Um, I can't, I I probably can't and shouldn't say his name, but um, there was a problem between the two of them, and they weren't having the same vision. So I think that that the book talks a little bit about it. And um, I think that, you know, Bill, Bill's got a section in that book as well. And I think we both kind of touch on it a little bit and it gives you the idea that basically um, w- <laughs> one of them gave a shit, one of them didn't. And it was, it was kind of like a power struggle and it reflects because the film in the U S at least doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UK release, which I, got to see fortunately right before the book came out uh made a little more sense but you could still tell that something was off you know with the filmmakers you could tell something was definitely off but you know honestly the the script from that film the script could have been fucking great but you know i i just don't know i just think that production and the way that certain things went down just kind of shot it to hell mm-hmm yeah i want i want to say the uh i guess like my favorite scene was the melting scene with the uh well thank you because i went to the hospital over that one oh really (laughs) yeah yeah that arm in there that's like grabbing at the mud and slapping down on the ground and everything that's me oh wow that's me underneath all that shit i uh it was an elevated set and we built, uh, we built a, uh, there's, well, obviously there's the animatronic guy that's melting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we had done was we built that puddle of goo into the set and I was underneath it and my arm is in like a neoprene sleeve. So sticking up out of there so that none of that crap like drops down underneath the set. And my arm is what's out. It's my arm is the other arm of that thing. And, we slapping the ground shooting yeah yeah slapping the ground grabbing at the mud you you see it it's like right in the foreground in that scene it's fun it's kind of funny to me now because it's like oh god i was thin (laughs) 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 i must have not eaten anything in those days but but yeah you can you can see my arm and and everything there because it's supposed to be his arm as he's wasting away um and i think i was underneath there for seven and a half hours without without a break and we were shooting and shooting and shooting we just kept shooting different 
you know, and we wanted to make sure that we got everything we needed for that melting scene to work right. So, you know, I just wasn't taking breaks and I was like, I thought I was okay. I thought I was okay. And I just kept, yeah, yeah. Just keep rolling. Let's keep going. So I kept going with it. And the next thing I know, I'm like, I can't feel my fucking arm. You know, uh, I couldn't feel my arm anymore after so many takes. And, uh, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't move. So I'm kind of oh, stuck under, I'm stuck under there and, uh, they wind up calling an ambulance and, and, pulling me out of it and getting out of it i didn't wind up going to the hospital but you know i that was that was a learning experience for me next time take breaks <laughs> yeah yeah holy crap man yeah it was a trip so like this is like a lot of like just the motion like your muscles just kind of gave just up like no it's just like i think that's part of it but uh, a lot of it was the neoprene sleeve cutting off my circulation uh, so uh what the what they told me was is they were like you know once they gave me the stuff and got my got me feeling better um they were like you know had you not like stopped you you could lose your fucking arm holy crap man so uh i almost was able to say that movie cost an arm not necessarily a leg but <laughs> well thankfully it didn't cost an arm yeah but yeah, yeah, like that that melting scene was just some of the best like melting stuff I've ever seen like just like the pus coming out of his face and Yeah, well, you want me to sort of break that down for you is um I can do that. If you want to, hey, no problem. Yeah, so so here's what we did. Um Steve, you know, Steve's a genius to begin with, but um Basically, we took uh, we took took our lead from Poltergeist. I don't know if you remember, not Poltergeist. I'm sorry, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Um, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know if you remember the German guy that melts. Yep. Yeah. So that's sort of where we got that that gag from, and um, how that's done is that that dummy and skeleton that's underneath everything that that gets built and then we we make skins I, a mixture of like gelatin i think most of the skins were gelatin so we did layers of stuff in gelatin and then used uh heaters off just off out of frame we use these super heaters like those propane shop heater things mm-hmm. uh, just out of frame to melt it and it's shot in reverse so Oh wow! Or shot high speed. Yeah, so it's shot high speed. So basically, when we're we're doing it, it's it's literally melting him from just out of frame, um, huh. in, in layers. And those chunks that fall out. I mean, that the stuff just works perfectly because you do these all these different layers of of the gelatin pieces and stuff like that, like his flesh and all of that. And mm-hmm. it starts to melt, but it doesn't melt evenly which is great because it gives you the chunks and the you know and then the layers kind of you see the the white layers mix in because they're melting faster or whatever because it's a thinner layer <laughs> so you see that goo, all that goo kind of comes out like that but basically yeah. it's all gelatin and uh you know off off camera people injecting stuff into that wow yeah that was a really cool scene um uh, definitely 
was like I don't know some of like the the cooler body melting horror that I've probably ever seen. It's definitely that you know I I I've seen that that someone has taken that clip on YouTube and and just put that clip up, and I mm. do I do appreciate that because it's it, that was a lot of fun to shoot and that, that was the that was pretty much all the same day when I you know when I was underneath the set. Wow. After that. Yeah. yeah, I think that scene was definitely like the backbone of that movie. It's a pretty good one because you don't get to see too much through the rest of it. You just see little hints of things here and there. And uh, I sure wish like, you know, the behind the scenes piece that you saw, I sure wish that we had more video of, I think we have video of the the fire, the wolf coming through the fire actually in the film but we we had set up this whole rig out in front of in the parking lot of XFX that a guy named Eric Fiedler and myself built this fire rig. I had really no idea what I was doing, but we figured out that it would work. <laughs> so we built this whole thing to create this wall of fire that we could push the wolf through. Mm -hmm. uh, and we just we just did it in in the parking lot of X effects, it's just kind of, you know, just thinking about fire codes today, it's kind of hilarious because we're just like, okay, well, we got to push this thing through a wall of fire. How can we test that? Okay. Let's just make a wall of fire. Fuck it. You know, <laughs> So that, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. So was that like one pretty much like one take? Cause once you push the wolf through the fire, it probably burnt a lot of the hair and stuff. Um, yeah, it did, but there was a lot of hair on that thing. Um, oh. I don't, I don't remember how many takes it took uh, because I know oh God, Bill was stuck in that suit for way longer than any human should have been uh, oh, in Africa. Uh, you have to remember we're shooting in South Africa. It's hotter than shit there. It's, it's, it was probably in the high nineties when we were shooting. At Holy night, crap. At night. And, and it's, I believe, if I remember correctly, it's it was quite heavy humidity as well, mm. and he's stuck in that big hairy suit, and you know for twelve, fifteen hours a day. Oh my gosh! Over and over again with those scenes, but yeah, it's uh, it was nuts. <laughs> that <laughs> so was, he that was a, that was a crazy shoot. So he probably had like the infamous Ted Ramey behind the scenes, where like just when he would take layers off it was just pouring out uh, oh, yeah, sweat yeah. yeah i would imagine that wolf probably has <laughs> a good amount of bill's body weight built into it now because he sweated it all into it <laughs> <laughs> oh man i bet you he's got some horror stories talking about being in that well, suit he's, he's got horror stories and he's got he's got hilarious stories from that set uh there's there's some video um, but nowhere near the amount of, uh, of some of the things that went on some of the, oh man, it was just, it was funny. Cause the, you know, those guys like Bill, I, I wasn't involved in any of that. I stayed back at the shop and, and made sure that what they needed was sent, but I know on the set they were, they were partying like rock stars. That's for sure. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, and that's what we would all, all hope would, yeah. you know you know hopefully you're having fun yeah, doing hard, this hard. that's in the 80s that was it man it's work hard play hard heck yeah heck yeah well uh maybe we can like kind of stir off to a different movie um i mean i know we could probably talk about these movies all day 
<laughs> but uh you know i'm sure we're on some kind of time restraint so um so you've you've worked on like a lot of a lot of the films like all in like one year um was it 88 so like what was the first movie that you got I, to work on the first movie i got to work on was uh well first movie i got to work on that anybody knows about is night of the demons okay that was that was the first film where you know remember, if you remember the conversation i was telling you i had with steve between music and and everything and he he asked if i wanted to come make rubber monsters that was when he had landed night of the demons oh right on yeah and uh it was it was pretty cool um he was still at that time working or sharing a shop with todd masters and uh so i got to work with both of those guys at the same time and todd is todd is an absolute blast i, I love that i love him he's just he's so cool and uh was a very good mentor for me during that time um you know steve, while steve was a lot of fun and also my roommate he uh he's a little more neurotic uh in doing certain things and has his ways but todd's a totally different it's it's interesting because these guys all the have their their different personalities so yeah we started night of the demons uh late i want to say maybe it was early 87 i can't remember when we started started all the building all the effects for it but um that was that was the first the first real movie for me that um that was sort of you know started my career nice nice did you uh get to to work on any of the scenes with Linnea Quigley? Yes. Um, the, the one in particular is the, uh, the chest gag. Okay. The, the lipstick, lipstick one. The yeah. Nice. Yeah. It and that, and that was, you know, that's really Steve's baby. Um, I was just kind of a, at, at that point in time, I was just almost like a shop lackey, you know, kind of like here, go do this or here, go do that. Mix this, do that. Um, and I was still really learning everything. So I was doing a lot of life casting. I was doing, uh, lots of mixing of chemicals and pouring up castings and things like that. So what wound up happening was, I, I can't remember who sculpted the teeth, but they were like, here, take these teeth. You need to make, I don't know how many fucking sets I made. It's just it's more than I, more than, more than I can count, uh, of sets of Angela teeth, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, because most of the teeth in that movie were the same. Oh. Um, so I was, I was, you know, casting those and painting them, you know, once I learned what the, what the process was to paint them and everything and get them to look real and everything and then get, and then get them on each actor and stuff like that. I was just, that was like, that was kind of like my main gig on that film, but whatever else was needed, I was there. I was there to help figure out the gag for the, the lipstick in the chest and uh the oh god i wish i could remember her name the asian girl she the her head getting snapped i remember um, doing that um hold on i i'll pull it up real quick here well i will say the uh the lipstick scene was like flawless <laughs> like just like how how it entered her body like it was <laughs> yeah. like magic like what the hell yeah 
another another gag in that film that that I actually am kind of proud of because I came up with the idea was um, Steve was sitting talking to me about something I forget what it was and I think I, I had brought my lunch with me that day and we were just sitting talking about how to, how to do some some things that he wasn't quite sure yet how to handle and we had done some tests with the uh, I can't remember the character's name but it's a girl that or the dude that um that Linnea is in the bathroom with that she's screwing in the bathroom before she does that mm -hmm. um and when she pushes her thumbs through his eyeballs um we were trying to figure out how to make the eyeballs look really good because there just wasn't enough there and I'm I'm like sitting there eating. I think I had a burrito and some like some grapes. And I and we were talking about what to make for eyeballs. And like the grapes I had were huge, so I like pull a grape off and I like look at at him and I show him the grape, kind of as a joke. Mm. And he goes, "You know what? That's fucking genius." So we so we took a couple of my grapes, stuffed them in the eye sockets of this thing, and shot. Uh, like we had VHS cameras back then, so it wasn't like the resolution was not that great. But you could at least see what what it would do. So we did this little screen test by doing that, and it just was so disgusting because the grapes like they pop perfectly like an eyeball would, and then mm. you know they, they also squirt. <laughs> and they, squirt, <laughs> they squirt some weird shit. So if you actually watch the film like that scene in slow motion, you can see the grape seed shooting out of the eye sockets that's part of the goo <laughs> that's awesome but yeah that was it's that's what i was saying it's like there's way more materials today than there was back then so you kind of had to think about shit you're like oh what can we do here you know what, hey. what works as an eyeball i don't know how about a grape <laughs> <laughs> a lot of improvising totally um uh earlier you're trying to uh think of the lady's name was her name jill Tereshita? yes Okay. It was Jill. She gets her neck snapped in that. And then she like, she's possessed. And if I remember right, I haven't seen the movie in a while. Um, but if I remember correctly, she like turns, uh, turns, that was kind of nasty. I kind of, that's one of my favorite scenes in it is when she goes, to, she goes towards somebody uh, and she's kind of like crawling on her, like backwards on her like arms and legs but her mm -hmm. head's like broke her neck's broken. So she like, she's kind of turned around. It's really creepy. Wow. But I worked a bit on that, on that piece too. Um, there was just nice. so many great people in that shop that, you know, I got to work with at that time. Yeah, man, that movie is, is pretty awesome. And I yeah. love the, uh, even the intro, like just how the, the title credits were. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very uh comic booky yeah yeah i like that kind yeah. of style and and kevin kevin tenney he's the director of that film and he's 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 a kick in the ass he's really great uh i love i'd love to i've tried to get him on podcast with me to to do stuff but he just he doesn't like to do podcasts i don't know why yeah um, but uh yeah he that that was the whole look and feel he wanted he wanted that kind of comic book feel just like Return of the Living Dead, uh, wanted that whole kind of feel for that film and not to be taken too seriously, you know? Right, right. Which was good, but I mean, like the effects in it are so cool. And 
that's why like I I'm sort of I learned so much on that movie because I'm like I'm around Steve and Todd and Kevin like Kevin Brennan sculpted that 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 six-eyed skull thing that appears in the mirror mm-hmm. that's that was my other roommate Kevin Brennan that sculpted that giant thing oh wow and that thing was amazing um I actually had a casting of it that got stolen some years ago oh uh, wow used to sit in my living room Damn, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're if they're listening right now, they they need to fucking return that. Yeah, it would be nice. <laughs> I really wish I still had it. Yeah. So, um what was uh the the I guess the next film that you worked on after uh Night of the Demons? Uh, let me think. Night of the Demons, like I said, was uh, Steve was still sharing a shop with Todd Masters. And I believe the next film that was coming for Steve was a movie called Dead Heat. Oh, okay. And that's uh, with Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo. I don't know if you've seen that film. But that was the next film that we, we transitioned into right after that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I mean, I've heard about that movie, but that's one that I actually haven't seen yet. You need, yeah, you should see it. It's it's funny. Um, mm. That is one movie that I got to meet someone in horror that I had idolized for years, Vincent Price. Um, and you know, it was it was a funny film. Uh, that another one that wasn't to be taken too seriously because it was literally a comedy, but mm. the makeup in it's just incredible. And there's just some scenes in it that like Steve engineered that I just couldn't believe worked like they did. These guys were amazing. Like I made a, I, that film I got to do more stuff on. Um, and that was sort of like, there's a guy that blows himself up with a hand grenade. I made his remains. Um, there's another guy that gets hit by a car in the beginning of the film. These are both, these are two characters that are in the very beginning of the film that are robbing a bank. And uh, the one guy blows himself up with a hand grenade and the other guy gets hit by a car. And the gag that I made for the guy that gets hit by the car got cut out of the movie because it was so gross. They couldn't, they couldn't show it. Wow. (laughs) So, so yeah. And I still have, I still have the head from that guy here in my, my personal collection of stuff. (laughs) Nice. It was, it was a fun, it was a fun piece to put together and, uh, I just always found it funny that uh, Mark Goldblatt was the director on that, that he cut that out of the film because the line that Piscopo delivers, they, they catch him, you know, one cop runs into the guy with the, his cop car and that's basically why he's dead. The other guy accidentally blew himself up with a hand grenade and <laughs> Piscopo walks over and sort of kicks the guy's head after he's been hit by the car he kicks the guy's head with his foot and he goes, you have the right to remain disgusting. And (laughs) what he's supposed to do, it's supposed to cut to him kicking the head. And it just, what I had done was I built this like under skull underneath the front of his face to keep all of his facial features. Mm -hmm. So I kept, I did all that. And then the back of it, what I did was I put a weather balloon in it and I filled it with uh, like a, I think it was a little bit of gelatin and a lot more like some water and, and gelatin, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite to where it would gel. It just kind of 
oozed around. So it was great because when he kicked it, it looked like the guy just like hit the ground so hard it just liquefied the back of his head. Nice. So he kicks it over and it, he he like kicks the guy's f- like face a little bit like on the cheek, and it just kind of sloshes over like the back of his head just totally gone. Oh it's man, so, it's so gross. But they cut that out of the film, and you know, it's kind of funny because like one of one, the the remains that I did for the guy that blows himself up with a hand grenade gets featured in it too, and I remember we were shooting at the L.A. County Morgue after I had prepped and done that body and airbrushed it and everything. And we had dressed it on set. And I remember one of the nurses from the morgue coming in and saying, Oh my God, that looks so fucking real. Wow. And on set. And I just, I, I was like, I was just so like that, that was a huge ego boost for me. Cause I was so nervous. You know, I was now starting to do more with my stuff on a film than I was in, in like night of the demons. I was just, like I said, I was just kind of a lackey making stuff in the background mm-hmm. and like on dead heat, I did more and bigger things, which was really a blessing. And then to have somebody that's a, in the medical field, come and look at that piece in person and say, Oh my God, that looks real. Was like, you know, a huge pat on the back for me. Right. It was like a, probably like a really awesome compliment to get. <laughs> yeah, totally. For sure. So uh, you're mentioning some of the scenes that were cut out. Like I do have a I do have a still picture of that uh, of that dude's head on my on my Facebook page. Okay. Um, so you'll have to check that out because I do have pictures of that, and I have pictures of the the bank robber that blew himself up as well. Nice. Do you think uh, like you know how Blu-rays and all that stuff nowadays have like tons of extra features? Do you think? Uh, we'll ever see like an unrated cut. I would love, I would love to see that. I would love to, especially for dead heat because dead heat was such a, you know, they put a lot into that film and it just didn't get the attention that I think it deserved. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it really has some amazing practical effects in it. And um, like one of the, one of, this is just one thing that, you know, like on that, even though on that set, I got sort of some kudos myself. Um, Steve did a scene Well, we had this, this actress named Lindsay Frost and she, she winds up, um, I, I don't want to spoil any of the film, so I probably shouldn't say, but there's a scene where she's getting out of the shower and she is, there's pictures of that on my Facebook as well. Um, she's getting out of the shower and she starts to like decay as if she's, you know, like falling apart or, or dying very rapidly. Um, and then her arm, arm falls off. So all of that, like having an extra arm for her to have to, you know, put her arm behind her back and rig her up in this thing where it looks natural, like her real arm, uh, that rig was on her and it, it detaches and falls off. Very, very realistic looking. And the, the most amazing thing to me was being on set and watching, if I remember correctly, I think Bill Corso, you probably know that name. Bill Corso was on that team. Uh, Lenny McDonald was on that team. Um, Todd was on that team. Cause I did a bunch of stuff with Todd for the butcher shop scene too. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and God, there was just so many talented people working on that film. And, and to be sort of off, I'm, I'm off camera just there if they need me, but I wasn't in that shot. They have her on set and these guys are standing just out of frame, airbrushing her live on camera and, and like getting these details on her that make her look like she's decaying. So they're like airbrushing her just off camera. You can't see it, but it's showing up on her face. Like while they're shooting, it's just such a trip. Wow. It was such a, that was such a trip to watch because it just, it looked like it's happening right in front of you. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the cast right now and Holy crap. I'm surprised I haven't seen this. Yeah. I definitely need to check this out soon. Yeah, it's fun, and there's a lot of really great-looking zombie makeups in that movie. Nice. I see uh, Linnea is a zombie go-go girl in this. Yes, yes, she is. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, after Night of the Demons, Steve and uh, Linnea started dating. Oh, okay. So I could see, you know, that uh, she kind of kept going with... with uh, Oh yeah, she was. She, we used her in Nightmare Four. We like she was always open to do stuff, you know. Right. Yeah, Nightmare Four. Um, actually, Nightmare Four was the first ever Nightmare on Elm Street that I ever watched, and I think that one got me hooked. And uh, you know, and then uh, and this is me at like a younger age, so I was probably like eight or so right <laughs> and then i i uh i seen nightmare one on vhs at the store and i i begged my mom to get it for me and she <laughs> got it for me and and the rest was history <laughs> nice yeah you know when i when i even got on that film it was uh it was pretty cool because i bounced between two shops i bounced between george's and steve's um mm-hmm. but that was really that was one of those movies that you know as an effects guy for me, because like, I loved Nightmare on Elm Street. I loved the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Loved mm-hmm. it. And I, you know, back then I was a big fan of that, and I was a big fan of Phantasm. So it was like I was trying to get on one of those, you know, sort of like that's like your dream job is I would love to get on this or do that. Oh, for sure. And uh, and when Steve mentioned Nightmare Four, I was just you know I was all about working on it. Oh heck yeah, man. So uh, the uh, I don't, I'm kind of jumping to Nightmare Four, but uh, yeah. the uh, the waterbed scene was that Linnea in the waterbed? No, it's a Playboy Playmate. Um, gosh, I can't think of her name. Uh, I can't think of her name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but yeah, that was that was a there's a, a whole messy. I have I have about two and a half hours of behind the scenes video footage from that film. Oh, wow. Yeah, it came from Bill Forsh. Bill Forsh is the guy. He had a camera that he was just shooting everything behind the scenes that he could back then. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like That and, that kill scene always stuck out to me, you yeah, know, the, watching the, the that younger age. The waterbed scene was a really good one. And and Mick Strawn, who I'm really good friends with, he was the production designer on that film. Uh, I do. I actually do a lot of podcasts with him and, and whatnot. Um but Mick is just, I mean, to come up with some of the rigs that he did for that, like the the junkyard and the 
like the waterbed thing he elevated the, the whole waterbed set was an elevated basically tank basically like a tank slash swimming pool mm. <laughs> and uh, uh, a waterbed built over the top of it wow. so uh, we had playboy playmate and uh, stunt freddy who uh, I wish I could think of his name off the top of my head but I can't um, and they were just shooting I, re- I remember standing in there um, helping out with little things here and there on that particular part but I wasn't really involved in the effects for that because that that was another movie that had like seven or eight effect shops all working on different parts of the film. Mm-hmm. But I remember being on set for the waterbed uh, thing and I was in there with Bill and we were standing kind of watching what was going on and they were on, I don't know how many takes it was of this poor girl. She's just in this tank and she kept kept having to go under and, and, you know, do the waterbed thing and then come back out and they kept shooting it and shooting it and shooting it. And finally the stunt stunt Freddie was like, she's done. I don't care how many more fucking takes you think you need. She's done. Mm-hmm. She can't do anymore. Um, yeah, she was cold. She was wet. She was just waterlogged and, you know, she wasn't going to say anything. So he spoke up for her. Um, and I'm, I'm glad he did. Cause you know, I mean, it's, that's another one of those things where I kind of had a little flashback to howling Four, where I'm stuck under that set for hours and hours and hours, just shooting and shooting and shooting. And sometimes you don't know, you don't really want to say anything. You just think, okay, well, we're going to be done in a minute. Okay. Well, we're going to be done in a minute. And it just keeps going. So yeah, so uh, he ended that. At not not many. <laughs> the director didn't end any of it. Uh, the stunt man did. Hmm. He said, "If you haven't got what you need in eighteen fucking takes, then fuck you. You're done." <laughs> That's pretty much what he said. So. Damn. Yeah. Uh, the playmate was Hope Marie Carlton. Yep. I had to look it up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean that one's you know that scene was amazing. The uh, uh, the cockroach scene was was pretty gruesome. Well, that was fun. Um, what was that? It was basically that one and Freddy's death that um, I worked on. Oh okay. Those I was going to ask what uh, what particular parts did did you work on in yeah, that movie? Those those two sequences were what I worked on, jumping um, back and forth between Screaming Mad George and and uh steve shop nice Um, the freddy's death stuff i came in a little bit late um but the cockroach stuff i was working with george and then went and did all this you know the set stuff uh for freddy's death as well wow yeah it was it was fun that was a really really fun movie to work on everybody was really cool um it's interesting because mick strong uh, wrote a book uh, that has all of the behind the scenes stories you would all probably every question you would ever ask and then stuff that you would never even think to ask uh, from that film from all the cast and crew it's all interviews with the cast and crew from that film and uh, I think it's called um oh shit I can't, I'm having um you can pick back up wherever you want <laughs> all right well um I guess we can move on from Elm Street and uh, maybe, maybe we'll talk about uh, Brian Usna's society. <laughs> and I, maybe you could 
shed some light on uh society <laughs> kicking the ass yeah the uh the effects in this movie were Weirdly. unreal dude <laughs> I'm glad you think so. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, that's all. That's like crawling inside Screaming Mad George's mind and and pulling everything out of it that you can. That's right. definitely what's inside George's head most of the time. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah this this movie yeah. it, it's it's hard to to uh, figure out what it what it really is about and like what what the creature really is because it never really explains if they're like aliens or no it doesn't explain that it's just it's you know honestly if you really really take a long look at the the whole of the plot it's actually still very relevant today i think it would do very well released in today's market actually maybe more today than it was even then for Mm -hmm. brian at least my conversations with brian back in those days it was a political statement you know it was really a political statement of how unbalanced society is society is the you know the rich feeding off of the poor and that's really where he literally took it and and george ran with that you know there was no particular creature you didn't really know where they came from they were just a different species they weren't just a different uh like part of society society was feeding off of people Mm -hmm. so it's just it was really a very interesting um you know take on on any kind of filmmaking because it really hadn't been done that way yeah yeah, this was, uh... and, and I remember conversations with Brian coming to the studio and sitting and talking with George and, and they came up with uh, what they coined as psychofiction. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a, a pretty uh, solid word to say. Yeah. As, as far as the meaning of this movie. Yeah, it was, uh... <laughs> It was a fun film to work on. Very weird movie. Um, interesting statements made in it. Yeah. Right? You know, and and it and it does what it's supposed to do. And it, you know, what's interesting about my wife that won't even watch it because it just makes her uncomfortable. But I'm like, that's what. That was the point. <laughs> you know, it's supposed oh, definitely. to be uncomfortable. <laughs> definitely. Like, and I had uh, talked to you like earlier um messaging back and forth and like i kind of have like this fan theory that uh society was uh or uh silent night daily night four was almost like a sequel to society yeah you know that it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me because brian wrote that uh brian did write that and it wouldn't shock me if he took from society and and sort of you know use that as inspiration for silent night Deadly Night. yeah because i mean i don't know if you're like you're really familiar with silent night four but uh there's hardly any christmas themed stuff in it (laughs) maybe just like a couple scenes where they mention christmas but like there's no snow or anything right and uh it, it didn't really feel like a christmas movie but a lot of like the body horror 
was this really similar to um, the stuff in society? Oh yeah. And uh, the, uh, I guess like the worm-like creature even like reminded me of society because you see a lot of like worm footage in society. <laughs> and so, I don't know, I, it, it, it really had some similarities to me and it got me thinking like, man, what if like, <laughs> what if this is like an unofficial sequel? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, I, I can kind of see that. I, I really can. Um, I know that Brian still has, uh, and I believe it's actually already written uh, a, a sequel to society um, that I've, you know, sort of off the record been, been asked to be involved with uh, by some people that are supposed to be doing the effects. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I know he was looking for money for it, but I really don't know where it stands. Um, I know Brian actually follows me on, on Instagram and we communicate a little bit here and there on there, but, um, you know, Brian, Brian is, he's another one of those. He's, he's one of those guys like Sean Crayon who's, you know, he has a vision of what he wants to see. And I, I really think that he and George like creatively really jived and, you know, they did a lot together. They, they created a lot of things together, even because one of the things right before I sort of left, I left Hollywood, uh, in like 91. And I think that's when, uh, I was working with George a little bit on creature designs for Bride of Reanimator. And, you know, that's another, you know, using the project and there's just, there's, there's a bunch. And I know that when we did society, uh, he and George clicked creatively and they like, they really like wrote down a lot of ideas and, and new, you know, for different films and just different things. And he just loved George's vision. You know, he really loved everything that George did. Wow. Man, that's amazing. I, I really hope that uh, he does make a sequel to society. Yeah, it would, it would be super cool. Um, I know that the Arrow Blu-ray release, I'm on the behind the scenes for that. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, there's a, I think there's a comic that comes with the limited edition one uh, mm -hmm. that I think is supposed to be the follow-up to it. But I don't, think it, I don't think it's quite the same story that Brian has mm -hmm. for what has become of society. Wow. But that, that film, you know, that, that film was one that was really nice because when I went to work for George, it, it, it was interesting because like I worked for Steve and Steve and I, you know, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot, you know, we did a lot. He taught me so much. Um, but when I went and, and interviewed with George, because, you know, Steve was drying up on some things and um, George was looking for people. Uh, you know, he just, he just said, Hey, why don't you go talk to George? He's not far from us. And, and mm -hmm. he says, I think you'd like him, you know? And, and I, I had already met him at, uh, there's years, it was like late 86 or early 87. I can't remember. There was a monster makers ball that George used to throw this monster makers ball thing. That, like Rick Baker was a judge. And, you know, there's all these judges, there's all the effects guys getting together and competing for Halloween, like Halloween, these 
elaborate Halloween get-ups. Oh my God. And George had this amazing trophy that was just like, I, I had wanted one so badly. <laughs> um, is, is there footage of this? Uh, yeah, there is. There is. I actually still have my invitation to it and everything. It was really quite a production. It was almost like uh, Monster Maker's uh, Academy Award. Holy crap. It was really pretty, really pretty cool. Um, Steve Wang was a competitor. Eddie Yang was a competitor. Uh, I think Bill Forsh was dressed up as a competitor. Um, but yeah, there's definitely footage. He, he did that for a couple of years. And, um, that's amazing. I met him then and I, and I just like the, the, I'm like, this guy's just too cool for school. So I, you know, but it took Steve kind of going, Hey, well, why don't you go talk to George and you know, you can go over there and he's got some projects. So I went, I actually went to lunch with George and it was interesting because he looked at my portfolio, like all the stuff I had done for Steve. And, and typically when you're an effects artist, that's what they look at. You know, they just look at your work and they're like, okay, I can use you here. Here's what, you know, here's what I'll have you do or whatever. And that wasn't what George wanted from me. He, he looked at my portfolio and he's like, okay, cool. Here you go. And then he started asking me questions about music, about art, about inspiration, who inspires me. And, you know, that was where I think you, you made a comment on, was it you that made the comment about my shirt? Uh, somebody made a comment about that yeah, i don't know if i ever I posted a picture the other day of me in high school with a shirt that was like a dolly piece uh and i george and i like artistically were are inspired by the same things i i was a big big fan of salvador dolly of hr giger of hieronymus bosch you know very very much a fan of of surrealistic art Mm -hmm. and talking about that and then talking about music with him and he and I lined up on on every freaking you know everything we lined up on all of it we all we like the same music we like punk we like we like goth we like all the same shit and and like uh, artistically we liked all the same shit so it was like you know it was like finding it was like finding finding home for me. And that's why, you know, I, I went from working for Steve to working for George and I stuck with George as long as I possibly could. Um, and I probably cut it. I did wind up cutting it short myself. Um, that's a long story um, mm-hmm. and shot myself in the foot over it. But um, that was over uh, my first wife. So that was kind of, that kind of cut my career a little bit short at that point. But yeah, so yeah, working for George was like a huge, huge thing for me. Um, Loved working with him, um, loved working for him, loved doing everything we did at that shop. Uh, On on Nightmare 4 in particular with like the cockroach gag, I worked with Mark Garbarino and a bunch of other wonderful people that, that worked on that gag together. And, um, we, you know, it was just a great shop because everybody, everybody worked cohesively and just made shit happen. It was like, it was so much fun. It was just a really fun time to be in effects. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. Yeah. I, uh, society, society was one of those things that, you know, that George really gave, like trusted me with a lot. He, you know, he was like, here, I'm going to block out this whole shunting scene. You've seen society. Yes. Yes. So, so that whole shunting sequence that happens at the end, that huge 
huge, the couch full of all of those bodies all melted together and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like, that all had to start as clay. So, you know, George blocked all that out one-to-one in the studio we were in. I think we were working in the back of Berman's at the time when we started that film. And, um, gosh, I, I just, he, he, he said, I want, I want you to come, you know, sculpt behind me because I'm going to block these out. We only have X amount of weeks to get these done and molded and ready. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I hadn't been asked to do sculpture of that scale. And I hadn't been asked to do any specific pieces other than like, you know, like the remains of the bank robbers and whatnot. Um, but I did Ferguson's Ferguson's entire makeup was all me. Um, I worked a little bit with uh, Dave Grasso on the butthead. <laughs> and that was I a did, funny scene. Uh, yeah. I didn't, uh, I did 99% of the molds on that film with, uh, with a guy named Kevin reader. And, um, you know, so I did a lot of work on that film. It was, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of big stuff, but it was a lot of fun. Wow. So like, uh, well, I was going to say like, so, so you did like the clay molding. Was, was that, uh, the, like, uh, Oh, was that, uh, for like cast, like cast molding for like the latex and stuff, or was yeah. that all just clay? Yeah, yeah. So everything, everything in those, everything in those movies you know, has to get sculpted somehow and then molded so that we can make the rubber pieces. Okay. So those sculptures were just these gigantic one. It was like having a gigantic one-to-one clay version of that whole shunting sequence in, in this little shop. Mm -hmm. So we had set up all the pipe, you know, all these pipe armatures and everything to start, you know, piling clay onto and cutting them out and, and doing it and george was just he was very fast sculptor he was blocking stuff out and he would go in and cut in some details and then he'd have me come in behind him and and do some you know some minor details and stuff like that and then i then i would also at the same time get them prepped for molding and then move them out and you know and start molding them it was just like boom 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 you know it was it was really uh a very fast paced thing and it wasn't something that i was used to having to knock stuff out that fast but that it taught me a lot and he trusted me with a lot wow man that's amazing how how many pounds of clay do you think were on that set um on the set probably none but in the shop before while we were making stuff thousands oh my god yeah probably in the thousand pound ranges Man, that that is a shitload of clay. Yeah, we we molded. Uh, oh God, I don't know, man. Those things were so big. I think, if I remember correctly, there's a there's a still a still picture of me molding the one that looks like kind of like a donut, where there's like a breast and part of it, and then there's like a leg sticking up out of it. <laughs> there's a I have a still of that on my on my Facebook that um, I'm I'm I have it outside. And I'm getting ready to mold it. And, um, that thing alone, if I remember correctly, that thing was probably 300 pounds. Holy shit. Yeah. Just that part was 300 pounds to pick up and get it ready to, to mold it. Wow. Yeah. That's massive. That was big. 
Yeah, I uh, well, um, I had a uh, Wyatt Weed on my podcast a couple times actually, and he's uh, we haven't really got into Giver, but he um had briefly talked about uh working on Giver with Screaming Mad George. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. Have you ever? Did you ever meet uh Wyatt or? I I might have. I left uh before Giver started. I moved out of state. Oh, okay. Um, but, but I do know, like, I remember all of the pre-production stuff for that happening while I was still there. And, you know, Steve Wang was at the shop. We were working on, if I remember correctly, we were working on a, a, a Japanese movie called Tato Tyson. Okay. And uh, we were doing the effects for that. And they were starting, I think Steve, we had Steve sculpting some pieces for that. And then Steve was also there working with George and developing stuff for Giver. But um, after, um, I want to say after Tato Tyson, it was either after Tato Tyson or after Abyss that I moved. I actually wound up moving. <clears throat> oh, okay. So I moved out of state in like 91, but um, I, I wasn't involved in Giver, even though I sort of had an open invitation to be part of it. Right, right. You know, Tyson was, I think, the last thing I did at George's. Wow. Yeah, I, I just thought, uh, just maybe out of sheer luck, if maybe you had worked with him, just because uh, Mr. Weed had done, uh, I think, uh, several things in the movie, especially like uh, uh, clay sculpting. Right. And, you know, stuff like that, that maybe I thought was in the same field as what, what you do. Right, right. Yeah, I know. I know the name. Um, I I don't think I know him, but I may. Mm -hmm. Uh, There have been some people that I've worked with that I totally (laughs) have forgotten. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not not intentionally, but you know, there's a lot. There was what was interesting in those days was you know, effects wasn't such a huge huge thing. It was kind of like all the shops knew each other. All the people pretty much knew each other. you know, even when I, I, I mean, I remember like bouncing back over to Todd's shop from XFX just to check in and see what he was up to. You know, we would do stupid shit like that. We'd go, hey, let's go visit him. You know, it's lunchtime. Let's go visit them or whatever and see what they're up to. It was, you know, it's kind of like a family just checking in on each other. It was pretty neat. Right on, man. Yeah, that's cool. Especially, you know, in when you have a job that you love to do and you work with people that have the same love, like it's almost like you're not working for a job. Oh, totally. You know, so like, so is that kind of how, how you feel as far as like, do you look at um, special effects as a job? Well, I, I mean, I, I do and I don't, I mean, it's, you know, when you're, when you love what you do, it makes it hard to, it, doesn't really feel like work, you know, although like, let's, let's take the Slipknot thing, for instance, it's, you know, 16, 18 hour shoot, we're on it, but we were having such a great time and, you know, yeah, we were working hard, but everybody there absolutely loved what they're doing. So nobody ever complained. Nobody ever had any issues. We just knew what we were getting done and we all had that vision that, you know, for the end product and it just made it so easy, even though it was a horrendously long day 
and everybody busted ass. Um, it's it's the same thing on on any on any film really. I mean, we all know what we have to do. Some days, you know, you have challenges where you're like, what what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> but but you know that in itself. I mean, for me, I never really thought of it that way. I never actually felt like I was working because you know I just kept I just kept going wow I'm getting paid to do this this is really cool <laughs> so right. you know it was like I was having fun and and getting to be around all these talented people and and you know making movies and and it was like they were paying me on top of it so it's kind of like a win-win it it hard to view it as, yeah it kind of makes it hard to view it as work you know for sure man yeah that's awesome man um what uh i know this is like one of the probably one of the hardest questions but uh what is your favorite horror film or do you have a couple favorites my favorite horror film that's that's really a tough question because i I mean really my love of horror goes all the way back to uh you know the early days of horror like (laughs) making Frankenstein and, and things like that. And like, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess you can't really call Metropolis a, a horror film, but it's, but it's certainly a, an iconic piece of film work that, you know, was made in 1927. And, and I just, I, there's so many that have inspired everything that I've done over the years and, and continue to inspire me. Um, and, the, and there's stuff being made today that's the same way. It's, you know, I see filmmakers doing things that we we couldn't have even begun to accomplish for budgets that you couldn't have even begun to accomplish in those days. And I'm blown away by what people are putting out, um, even for the budgets they have. It, it, it really is cool with not only how technology has progressed and allowed for people to do that, but it's kept... Uh, it's kept the genre alive and the the fans doing it making it so like like now you can edit on your laptop or you can you know you couldn't do that in those days you had to have a film camera you had to have a video camera and in those days it was really expensive so you know Mm -hmm. nowadays you can shoot an entire film on your phone and and edit it and you know submit it for film festivals and and i just think it's it's opened up so much um, availability to people who probably back in those days would never have thought they could get into the, into filmmaking. And it's just, it's opened up huge amounts of ability to create. And for me, that's like, that's, that's the gold coin. It's not having a favorite film because I mean, filmmakers have been trying to do this since the dawn of filmmaking you know they just figured out ways to do it and i i just love that that's still really at the core of where this genre stays today because you don't see big studios diving in and making 36 million dollar horror films anymore they just Mm -hmm. don't do it they don't do it um it sucks because i would love to i would love to direct or do effects or whatever on a 36 million dollar movie but um, you know, it just doesn't happen that way anymore. And all of the, all of the horror fans have, you know, they decided that they waited long enough for, for good horror that they started making them themselves. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, I you know I think uh, horror is is uh, having almost like a resurgence. Like more and more people are talking about horror movies, and we're mm-hmm. also seeing more like the bigger budgets, like uh, like Get Out and Stephen King's It. Like yeah, yeah, the studios are definitely starting to listen again, and it's it's about time. Um, I think the the you know the new the new version of it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not you know like Blumhouse is doing some beautiful things these days, and they've got some big backing now, which they deserve. Um, there's just there's it, it, it's good to see because I, I like that it's coming back. I want to see it come back more, and I hope to God that this fucking pandemic we're in right now doesn't absolutely destroy that chance. Because, you know, right now, I mean, all all of us, like, affects people, uh, actors, none of us are working, you know. Um, it's not, we're not creating anything right now. Yeah, that, that um, sucks right I hope, now. I hope that that changes, um, because there's so much I would like to do. Uh, I have scripts that I was in development on that are all now halted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, and I don't even know if the entity that I was um, developing those with is going to survive this. So it's, it's, it's a hard, it's a toss up, you know, I, I hope that it, that they see value in it, that the larger studios actually see that, you know, the horror community is not just this tiny little handful of people horror fans there's a lot of horror fans in our country and out of our country oh absolutely there's there's a lot of horror fans and i it's interesting because for me i was out of it for a while and uh when i was brought back into it and even asked on my first podcast and asked to go to a convention i was i was a little bit hesitant i'm like why would people want to talk to me about this why and you know, it, it took a little getting used to because, you know, I'm like, wh- I'm not any better than anybody. I just had a cool job, you know, um, and I created some neat things. But but I never thought, certainly not at, at 52, that people would still be interested in talking to me about what I did or what I'm doing. Um, I didn't think that it would be really that relevant, even when I was working on them. Um, but it's neat to see that even even some of the movies I worked on that people still absolutely love them to this day and they've held they've withstood the test of time and uh and I guess it it goes hand in hand with uh you know my fandom for it as well because like I said I, I you know I love movies all the way back to the 20s and and the early stuff and I just I can't get enough of it I love it mm-hmm. um so you know I guess I'm I'm the guy that's like the you know the fan that does it for the fans but it was just it's just such a cool thing to be able to do and I was very very fortunate and I and I got to be around some people that were very influential in the business and and you know they were iconic in the business and I was very lucky to be there so right on it's hard to like I said that's why it really makes it hard to pick a favorite because you know, I just, there's so many cool films and, and I, I even like the stupid ones. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, you just, they're so, they're so bad. They're good. You know, 
Oh yeah. Like uh Dead Alive for me. Yeah. Is like that's a good example. You know, that's like one of my one of my all time favorite movies really. It's just, you know, it's so over the top in, in each category that it, it tries to fit itself in. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's so corny and cheesy, but you just can't help but love it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's just it's great to see all of it develop and and that there is such a love for all of it for all things horror and and then there's there's even uh you know there's i guess there's genres now that i don't even really know or understand i guess there you know there's some extreme horror stuff going on that i know that uh there's another podcast that wants me to come on and ask me about that stuff but i i don't think i've seen any extreme horror to be honest with you uh, but yeah, you know maybe. i mean it's just amazing that, that people are just making it, you know, they're just out there making it. Oh, for sure. Well, maybe this will be an easier question. What's your favorite universal monster film? Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, Hands down. Right on. Right on. Yeah. The, the creature looks awesome. Yeah. yeah. When I was really, when I was really young, um, initially it was funny cause it was before I had seen creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, my favorite creature was the Wolfman. I was a little bit afraid of Frankenstein, but I loved the Wolfman mm-hmm. uh, when I was about five or six. And as soon as I actually got to see Creature from the Black Lagoon and, you know, was able to understand the story, it it, it really resonated with me. You know, but I think all the Universal Monsters really are kind of the same basic story. They're misunderstood. And I felt like, you know, I felt a connection with that. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say, well, like for me, uh, my favorite initial universal monster was Dracula. Yeah. And, you know, it started from Dracula when I was like real young, you know, like, you know. Are you talking talking Nosferatu or are you talking uh, Bela Lugosi? I think Bela Lugosi. Yeah. You know, he, he kind of got me uh, into it first. And then I think I, you know, had had seen pictures of Frankenstein or I should say Frankenstein's monster. And then the Wolfman, I think was like my next favorite. But, you know, as I get older, I think like, I think the more enjoyable one to watch is probably creature from the black lagoon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the later entry. I absolutely love Lugosi's Dracula but then see I grew up in a time when you know Hammer was big and you had Christopher Lee and you had you know I mean god there was just stuff churning out of out of different studios and and different countries for horror in the 70s and and I was so lucky to 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 be a kid at that time because you know, I mean, those are the movies my parents didn't really want me to watch, but I'd sneak off and watch anyway, you know, and those are all the things that, you know, really kind of built, built the creature that I am today, you know, so. <laughs> um, is there any newer horror films with practical effects that have impressed you? Um, yeah, I definitely... I definitely loved the new it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, really, really in my heart of hearts, love Tim Curry 
as Pennywise, but I have to say that going in prepared for the fact that it wasn't the same and it wasn't going to be the same. I had accepted that. Um, I was hesitant to watch it at first, but once I accepted that this is somebody else's take on that character. So once I could kind of get over that hump, um, you know, I really, really, I watched the film and I really enjoyed Skarsgård as Pennywise. I think he really did a phenomenal job and I really thought the effects were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. You know, I was, I was hesitant at first too, but I gave it a chance and I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed the, the first segment first rather than the second one. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah. It just, I mean, there's, there's a few good, um, segments in the second one but the the first segment was you know in my opinion way better yeah the first installment was definitely uh in my opinion a bit scarier mm-hmm. um, your introduction to him as 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 that character and where he may or may not show up next is like you know it's that's what makes your skin crawl there so right <laughs> Right. And are you familiar with the, with the book at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I recently finished the book and, and Holy crap, that was one of the, I think the longest book I've ever read. Yeah. It's, it's a long one, <laughs> but you know, the, the stuff that he talks about in the book, there's no way in hell that they could put it on screen. No. So <laughs> no, and that's and you'll find that with many, you know, with many uh book to film translations that there's a lot missing, but you know, you just there's really no way to do that. I mean, the only movie that ever really tried to do that in my opinion and it was to stick by the book through the whole thing was Dune. Hmm. And and Dune when it was made, I mean, Jesus, it was 3-4 hours long even then and they didn't hit everything. But, you know, that's it would just make it ungodly long and you'd have to break it up into chapters and whatnot. But, um, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> for sure. You start to you get too long, you'll have people falling asleep in the theater and whatnot. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, that's where uh, like Netflix or Shudder comes in good where you can kind yeah. of break them up into – you yeah. know, episodes or miniseries. Definitely. Uh, well, Nick, I mean, I know we could, we could go on all day and talk about the horror genre and, and the work that you've worked on. Maybe I'll have you back on uh, another time. We can maybe talk more about uh, like Bride of Reanimator, Tremors, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, and, you know, some of the other stuff or maybe – some more questions that I didn't really delve into with uh, some of the previous movies we've talked about. Okay. Um, um, yeah. You know, I would love to have you back on and, uh, and talk more about the horror genre. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug in or promote? Well, to follow me on Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com slash Nick J Benson official. Uh, on Instagram, I'm at Nick Benson 427. And, uh, you know, if, if anybody like during these pandemic times, you know, my, my income has been, you know, hit pretty hard, but 
I still have like, you know, when I do convention appearances, I do have stills. I actually have some of the howling books uh, available, the first editions uh, that I can sign and send out. Um, so you can find stills of me from society stills. Uh, so I have some stills from um, nightmare on Elm street four uh, and some other stills available for purchase with uh, signatures. I have those things on my social media so you can just always get on there, follow me, DM me, whatever, and uh, we'll hook it up. Awesome, Nick. Well, thanks for so thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been a blast. Thanks for having me, man. I'm 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 always down to come back. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that just about wraps up my interview with Nick Benson. I want to say thank you so much, Nick for coming on the show uh this was truly an honor because uh i love most of the films that you've worked on and uh learned a thing or two and uh actually um right after doing this interview i uh later that day i went and watched dead heat um which is available on tubi tv and uh man i absolutely loved that movie and i i can't believe i've never seen it until now and now that i've watched it i you know i wish i would have seen it beforehand i talked to him so that i could maybe ask him some some different questions and whatnot about the movie so man you know that that's one of the things about the horror genre is there's so much so much out there and it's hard to to watch every single movie so um yeah, that's that's the beauty of horror, you know, part part of the beauty. And uh and man, uh <laughs> if you've never seen Dead Heat, go check that one out. It's it's fucking amazing. Um as he had mentioned where to find his social media at, uh I do wanna mention that he is a a publicity director for Morbidly Beautiful. And uh, if you're not familiar with Morbidly Beautiful, they're um, kind of like a like a a, uh, a horror go-to spot for like reviews, podcasts, um, horror news, you know, stuff like that. Like uh, kind of like Blood Disgusting and uh, Dread Central, like stuff like that. But they're they're their own entity, and they got some great stuff on there. I just wanted to mention morbidly beautiful at morbidlybeautiful.com check out more info on uh maybe they, they have some horror news that you haven't came across yet or you know like their style better and so forth check them out and uh um yeah i definitely would like to have nick back on the show because there's so much so much we could have talked about but just with limited time um, I do want to mention the society two segment that we had talked about. That's not like a hundred percent going to happen. So sort of, sort of like quote unquote rumors. So don't get too excited if it never exists or, you know, uh, you know, I, I just don't want you guys to be let down, get your hopes up. So just take it with the salt of grain or with it <laughs> with a grain of salt and uh who knows you know 
let's hope for the best because I'm sure we all would love to see a, a sequel to society. And, uh, you know, I don't know what they would need to, to make it happen. I mean, maybe they could do like a crowdfunding type thing if they can't get any, uh, anybody to back them up. You know, I'm sure all of us horror fans would love to contribute in some sort of way. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe that is a, uh, a, a choice to make. I don't know. Like, you know, maybe, maybe that'd be a good way to, uh, to make it happen. But anyways, I'm going to wrap this up guys. I really appreciate you guys listening and, uh, stay tuned to some future episodes. Cause we got some great guests coming on. Um, I, I guess I could mention David Howard Thornton. It's hard to say his last name, like Thornton. Sorry if I butchered your name, dude. It's just, it's a tongue twister for me anyways. And, uh, if you're not familiar with him, he is art, the clown in terrifier. So I had him on, uh, a few days ago recording and holy crap, it was a blast to talk to him. And it was, uh, actually like kind of like a, a spare of the moment, like last minute, uh, thing to have him on. So, um, I kind of wish that I was better prepared. So, um, you know, and I'll talk more about that next episode. Cause, uh, um, <laughs> I was kind of a sloppy mess on that one, but I had a lot of fun talking to him. I hope he had fun and, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that one guys. And also, uh, I will mention now, um, C court Courtney Joyner is going to be a guest pretty soon. If you're not familiar with him, he's directed, uh, lurking fear, like a uh, past guest, uh, white weed had worked on that. So we got the director from lurking fear. And uh, Trancers 3 is another film that he directed. And then he also uh, helped write a lot of movies like Puppet Master 3. And uh, the big one that I really want to talk about is Class of 1999. He helped write that one. And I absolutely love that movie. So that one's going to be so much fun. Uh, I haven't talked to him yet uh, verbally. So just through messaging. But uh, definitely look forward to that one, guys. As I close close the show, I just wanted to mention Wake Brewing. Wake Brewing is a brewery in Rock Island, Illinois, and it's the go-to brewery in the Quad Cities. Go check them out at wakebrewing.com and check out their beer selection that they have online and take advantage of their cans-to-go carryout on Saturdays from noon to 3 p.m. You can visit their Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at wakebrewing.com for more info on how to pre-order cans to go. Also, they have some sweet new shirts available now. So go check out their social media page to find the link on how to order those. Um, I'm drinking one of their Invisible Orange um, wheat beers. So it's like a, or I should say American wheat beer. And uh, as you can guess, it's like an orange flavored wheat beer. <laughs> And oh my gosh, it's it's pretty good, guys. So that's just one of the one of the beers they have available. Um, I did get some more uh, or a different style of beer as well that I haven't drank yet. I mean, I've tried it before and it's really good. It's called Bury Me in Smoke. It's like a smoke smoke flavored porter, and it's really good for like 
you know, it would be like really good for like having a barbecue and just hanging outside when all the social distancing shit's gone. Hang out with some friends and just have like a barbecue and maybe a bonfire or something and drink some bury me in smokes. Uh, yeah, but nonetheless, amazing brewery here in the quad cities. Check them out guys. Also, I want to mention death stitch custom clothing. They offer hundred percent handcrafted handpicked and painstakingly matched upcycled t-shirt flannels bags, as well as other handmade surprises that you might find at some of their shows. They're also making horror related face masks. So, Message them on Facebook or Instagram or email them at deathstitchcc at gmail.com for more info on how to obtain their products. Also, you can find them on Instagram at deathstitchcustomclothing. For our next uh, plug-in, I wanted to mention Midwest Monster Fest. They are a horror and pop culture convention happening September 5th and 6th at the Rust Belt in East Moline, Illinois. They will be having a horror-themed cosplay contest with prizes, effects challenge with prizes, horror-themed pin-up contest, and movies playing both days. So they have kind of like a film festival as well intertwined in their convention. And 70-plus booths with celebrities and vendors. Some celebrities announced are C.J. Graham, Linnea Quigley, Tom Matthews, Tamara Glenn, and many, many more. And there's going to be even more to be announced. Um, tickets are on sale now at MidwestMonsterFest.com. Also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at MidwestMonsterFest. And at last, you can follow the Root Horror Podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Root Horror Podcast. Or you can email us at Root Horror at gmail.com well that about wraps up guys hopefully i didn't talk your ear off too much but uh i felt like i needed to uh plug in these these local businesses that that help me and hopefully i help them and uh and these are the uh the local companies that that root horror podcast supports and uh just most most importantly um, support your own local um, small businesses because they're being really affected right now. And, uh, you know, let's just, let's try to make the best of, of a situation and uh, try to keep these, these businesses alive. And as well as yourself, make sure that you take care of yourself and we will pull through this thing unscathed so that we can continue to go into these like horror conventions and, you know, being able to hang out with our friends and family and, uh, and yeah, so I'm going to sign off here, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support and stay tuned for the next episode. Peace out. You have been listening to the Root Horror Podcast. If you like this content and would like to hear future episodes, please follow or subscribe if you dare.